0: Church, would you please open your Bibles, first of all, to Genesis chapter 2. We will read again, verses 1 through 3, as a reminder that uh, this, uh, this study on the Sabbath day was prompted by our study of the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The New Testament reading will be Hebrews chapter 3, 7, all the way to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, and really our focus will be upon this New Testament text uh, this morning, I'm going to ask you for just one more week to deal with the Sabbath. I intended to wrap it up today. Even last night, I told Lindsay I would be wrapping it up today. Was that last night I said that? I need to deal with practical application more thoroughly uh, than what I had time for today, and so I want to take one more Sunday to deal with some practical considerations concerning Sabbath keeping. Uh, But here uh, let us now give ourselves to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis chapter 2. Verses 1-3, through Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Now let us go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3 and we will begin reading in verse 7 and go all the way through chapter 4 verse 11 there the writer to the hebrews says therefore as the holy spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness you can hear him referring to uh, that that wilderness generation being led out of egypt by moses by his hand uh, by the hand of god through moses They wandered in the wilderness and they were tested and they were rebellious. Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, God says, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, any of you, you new covenant people of God, you Christians, For who were those who hardened and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom was he provoked forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of what? Because of unbelief. They did not enter the rest, because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands for us today, it still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For, here is the conclusion of the matter, If Joshua had given them rest, Joshua coming right after Moses, For if Joshua had given them rest through leading the people of Israel into the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, the writer to the Hebrews says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. A complicated text, I know but one that we will consider in some detail today. Thus far, the reading of God's most holy word. May the Lord bless the preaching of it as well. One of the arguments that you'll hear from those who are opposed to the idea that there is still one day out of seven that is to be kept holy unto the Lord is that the New Testament never explicitly says so. Uh, in other words, one of the arguments that the anti-Sabbatarians, as I am calling them, uh, one of the arguments that they make for not believing that a Sabbath day remains for the people of God, is that the New Testament does not directly say something like thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy uh, to New Covenant believers. The practice of Sabbath keeping, therefore they reason, does not remain for the people of God under the New Covenant. They will admit, of course, that the Old Testament did require the Old Covenant people of God to keep the Sabbath day, but they reason that if the New Covenant people of God were to keep a Sabbath day, the New Testament must say so directly. And, that, and they claim that it does not. Uh, this is one of the arguments that the anti-Sabbatarians will make to defend their position. And I hope that you do understand that many, many Christians today are, in fact, anti-Sabbatarian. It is uh, difficult, I think, to find pastors and churches who will confess that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. Most churches, you'll notice, do still meet for worship on which day of the week? On Sunday. They will even call Sunday the Lord's Day. But if you press them for an answer as to why they meet on Sunday, they will say, perhaps, tradition or preference. Indeed, they will probably say something about Christ raising from the dead on that day. But here is the point. Few, very few, will make the connection between Sunday, the Lord's Day, and the Sabbath command instituted at creation and also reiterated on Sinai. Are you following with me? They meet on Sunday for worship, but they don't make the connection between that and the law of God. Uh, One way to find out if a pastor or church is anti-Sabbatarian would be to ask the question, does a Christian sin when he or she violates the Lord's Day Sabbath by working unnecessarily, or by neglecting to gather for worship, not being providentially hindered? Does the Christian sin when they willingly and for no good reason uh, neglect and violate the Sabbath day? Uh, Those who believe that the Lord's day is the Christian Sabbath would have to answer that question, how so? Yes, they actually Sin by violating the Sabbath, to go on working unnecessarily or to neglect to gather for worship unless providentially hindered is a violation, we believe, of God's moral law given when first at creation and then also reiterated on Mount Sinai in the fourth of the Ten Commandments and also written on the heart of the Christian through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. So to refuse to cease from ordinary work or to neglect the worship of God, is to commit a sin of of omission. This is what we call it. It is a sin of failing to do that which God has uh, commanded that we do. We omit obedience to God's law. It is a failure to do what he has commanded. An anti-Sabbatarian would probably not be willing to admit that it is sin, though. They will say that a Christian should go to church for his or own good. And with this I agree. They might even say that skipping church is a bad idea. I also agree with this. Uh, but they will not call treating Sabbath Sunday as if it were common a common day a sin because they refuse to recognize the connection between the Lord's Day and God's moral law given at creation on Sinai and written on the heart of the Christ follower by regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, another way to tell if a Christian is an anti-Sabbatarian is to ask Would it be right for the church to gather for corporate worship on another day besides Sunday? Are you following with me here? Ask that question. Would it be right for the church to gather for corporate worship on another day besides Sunday? Would that be okay? Now, now, please hear me. Uh, Do not misunderstand me. I beg that you don't. I am not referring to, let's say, a Wednesday night prayer meeting or a Wednesday night worship service in addition to the Sunday service. The church may gather as often as she pleases to pray and to worship the Lord. But I am here referring to the church being called to gather for worship, that is, for prayer, the singing of songs, the preaching of the Word, the breaking of the bread, on another day of the week besides Sunday. Would it be okay for us to do that as New Covenant Christians? I would imagine that a lot of Christians today would actually say, Yeah, this would be just fine. Uh, We may gather for worship on any day we choose. I can hear them saying this, Whatever works, whatever is practical, after all, we are free in Christ. I can hear it now. We are free in Christ. Uh, No, what we are saying is that the church is to worship according to the command of Christ. God has prescribed in His Word that He is to be worshiped. And also how he is to be worshipped. Is there freedom in Christ, brothers and sisters? Yes. A tremendous freedom in Christ. There is great freedom in Christ. But it is not freedom to disobey God's word. That is not the kind of freedom that we have. Instead, we are to obey God's word. In Christ, he has set us free so that we might live in obedience to Him. And so, brothers and sisters, it is our view that the new covenant people of God do actually sin a sin of omission when they fail to keep the Lord's Day Sabbath. And it is our view that there is a particular day that is to be viewed as holy unto the Lord, having been set apart by God and blessed by Him. The people of God are to cease from their ordinary work and are to worship together on this day according to the command of Christ. Which day was it in old covenant times Uh, The seventh day, Saturday. Which day is it in New Covenant times? Sunday, the first day of the week. And I've given reasons for this in the previous sermons. I will not repeat them here. But as I have said, uh, very many are opposed to the idea that a day for Sabbath keeping remains for the people of God today. And one of the arguments that you will hear from them is that the New Testament never explicitly commands us to keep the Sabbath. And therefore, the Christian is not obligated to keep it. Now, three questions should be asked of those who reason in this way. First of all, who decided that a truth or commandment must be explicitly stated in the New Testament in order for it to be believed or obeyed by the New Covenant people of God? Where did this idea come from? Who invented this principle who decided that the Old Testament and the New Testament are to be divided up in such an extreme way so that truths communicated in the Old Testament cannot be carried over into the New Covenant era, but must be stated anew and afresh in the New Testament in order to be believed. Are you following with me here? Where did this notion come from? uh, That we cannot simply believe things communicated in the Old Testament as New Covenant Christians. Indeed, our view is that both the Old Testament and New are God's Word. The New Covenant people of God are to give heed to both Testaments. The New Testament Scriptures do not start fresh, but are a continuation of the Old Testament Scriptures showing that Jesus the Christ is the fulfillment of the Law, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Read Luke 24 if all that we must believe and do has to be stated explicitly in the New Testament, then I would ask this question, why would we need the Old Testament at all, if that is the case? In fact, we would just need the New Testament. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we do need the Old Testament because the New Testament is a continuation of it and it can only be rightly understood with it as our foundation. Uh, Secondly, this is the question I would ask those who reason in this way, wouldn't it be more appropriate to say that the New Testament must provide either an explicit statement or a theological rationale for doing away with some truth or commandment in the Old Testament before we are free to dismiss it as belonging only to the Old Covenant era. Do you see, do you see how I am arguing here? Um, there, it seems as if some are so quick to do away with Old Testament Teachings. I am saying we should be more slow to do away with them. The New Testament should explicitly tell us this thing no longer applies to the people of God, or at least the theological rationale should be there, provided for us in the New Testament. In other words, our impulse should be to assume that things will only change when God says they have changed, or when there is some undeniable reason for the change. Indeed, Uh, The New Testament does explicitly say that some things, and even many things, have changed with the passing of the Old Covenant to the inauguration of the New. There are many things that were required of the people of God under the Old Covenant that are no longer required of the people of God under the New. For example, under the Mosaic Covenant, the people of God were to worship at the temple, but not so under the New, under The Old Mosaic Covenant, the people of God were to abstain from certain foods, not so under the New. Under the Old Mosaic Covenant, the people of God were to observe a whole complex of holy days, festivals, and Sabbaths, not so under the New. Under the Old Mosaic Covenant, the people of God were to worship by sacrificing animals through the mediation of the priesthood, not so under the New. So did things change for the people of God with the passing away of the Old Covenant and the inauguration of the New? The answer is yes, things changed drastically so. Many things changed. But the New Testament, here is the point, either explicitly states the change or provides us with the theological rationale for such changes. For example, Peter the Jew was commanded by God in a vision to rise, kill, and eat foods that under the Old Covenant were unclean to him, Acts chapter 10. Paul the Apostle plainly declares that circumcision and uncircumcision are nothing under the New Covenant, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Jesus assured the Samaritan woman that particular mountains and temples would have no importance at all in the New Covenant era, John chapter 4. Do you remember that story? She was bothered. My people say we're to worship here. Your people say were to worship there Jesus says don't worry about it <laughs> uh, the day is coming and is now here when neither on this mountain nor that mountain will people worship but in spirit and in truth I mean, this is the, the essence of Jesus' teaching isn't it silly how Christians today still make a big deal out of geography and borders and mountains and places Christ said no longer not in the new covenant era Paul explicitly says that the holy days of the Jewish church are not binding on the new covenant people of God when he says in Colossians 2.16, so let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Paul is here referring to the festival days added to the weekly Sabbath under Moses as recorded in Leviticus chapter 23. The new covenant people of God are no longer bound, therefore, to observe the Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, or any other festival day. These were given only to Israel under Moses. These pointed forward to the Christ, were fulfilled by him, and were thus taken away. The, the point that I am making here is that this, all of this, cannot be said about the weekly Sabbath. Never does the New Testament explicitly say that it has been taken away, and neither does the New Testament imply that it has been taken away by providing a theological rationale for its removal. The festival days, the new moons and the Sabbaths, notice the plural in Colossians 2.16, the the Sabbaths or Sabbath days, referring to the Passover, the Feast of Fruits, and etc., have been taken away because they were given specifically to whom and through whom? The people of Israel through Moses. They were given to the people who lived under the covenant which Moses mediated. They pointed to Christ and were fulfilled by Him. But the weekly Sabbath was given not to Moses, but to whom? To Adam and to his descendants at creation. It points not only to Christ, but to the rest that He has earned, to the rest that He has entered into, and has promised to bring us into. That rest, brothers and sisters, is not here in full, but is yet future to us. I hope you would agree with that statement. Have we tasted of the rest of God in Christ Jesus? Yes, we have. We have tasted of it. We rest in Christ. But is that rest of God here in full? Is it here in fullness? Please say no. Because if you say yes, what you are saying is that this is, this is heaven. Right here, what we are experiencing the here and now is heaven on Earth. It is the new heavens and the new Earth. You, no one would say that. Have we tasted of heaven? Have we tasted of the heavenly things? Are we seated with Christ in the heavenly places? Yes. Already we have. But have we entered into the fullness of all of that, the rest, the new heavens, and the Earth? No, not yet, not yet. That is yet future. Uh, to us. The Sabbath day was given at creation to Adam and it points forward not just to the coming of the Christ but to the rest that he has earned. Therefore, the practice of Sabbath keeping must remain for God's people. This is the conclusion that one must come to when reasoning theologically concerning the Sabbath day. What I am saying is that never does the New Testament say, no more weekly Sabbath keeping, nor does it provide the theological rationale. We have theological rationale for doing away with all of the feasts and festivals and holy days and Sabbaths given to Moses, Leviticus 23, but not to doing away with those things that were instituted when? at creation, I don't have this in my manuscript, but do you remember when Jesus was asked about things pertaining to marriage? What did he appeal to? Moses? To creation. To creation. He appealed back to creation. And we are doing the same thing when it comes to the Sabbath day. The Sabbath, like marriage, was instituted at the time of creation. Uh, This is what I am here saying. And so we should ask that question of the anti-Sabbatarians. First of all, who made up this this rule that something must be explicitly stated in the New Testament in order for it to be believed or or practiced? And secondly, wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be more natural to say we are not doing away with anything until God tells us that it's to be done away with, either through direct commandment or through uh, theological rationale examples given uh, that would lead us to uh, come to that conclusion? The third question that must be asked of the anti-Sabbatarian is the one that we'll elaborate on the most today, and it is this doesn't the New Testament in fact say that the practice of Sabbath keeping remains for the people of God, and explicitly so? In other words, the New Testament, in our opinion, does clearly, directly, and unambiguously say that the new covenant people of God are to keep the Sabbath day. It is wrong, therefore, to even claim that the New Testament does not explicitly teach the doctrine of the Sabbath, for it certainly does. Even if it did not, I would say we still have reason to keep it, but it does, in fact, teach that a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. The text is Hebrews 4.9. It very clearly says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The writer to the Hebrews is writing to New Covenant Christians, living in the New Covenant era. And to them, he says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It is an explicit declaration of this truth. A.W. Pink Uh, comments on this verse and i got this quote from a a a nice little book called the lord's day by uh, an author with the last name of pipe i think that is how you pronounce it a wonderful book but here in his book he quotes a w pink who we are uh, studying right now in the sunday school hour on the attributes of god Uh, but here here's what he says concerning hebrews 4 9 here then is a plain positive unequivocal declaration by the Spirit of God. There remaineth, therefore, a Sabbath-keeping. Uh, nothing could be simpler, Pink says, nothing less ambiguous. The striking thing is that this statement occur- occurs in the very epistle whose theme is the superiority of Christianity over Judaism, written to those addressed as holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Therefore, it cannot be denied that Hebrews 4.9 refers directly to the Christian Sabbath. Hence, we solemnly and emphatically declare that any man who says there is no Christian Sabbath takes direct issue with the New Testament scriptures. I agree with Pink that this statement in Hebrews 4.9 is clear, plain, and unambiguous. It teaches that the new covenant people of God are to keep a Sabbath day. I also agree with Pink when he says that it is remarkable that this statement is found in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews, which I do hope to preach through someday. It's a wonderful book. But it is the book of the Bible that most clearly explains how Christ is the fulfillment of the old covenant. Christ is greater than Moses, the writer to the Hebrews says. Christ is greater than the Old Covenant priesthood. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant sacrificial system. Because the Christ has come, these things have passed away. That is the argumentation of uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews uh, was writing to Jewish Christians who were tempted for one reason or another to go back to the Old Covenant forms of worship. And the writer to the Hebrews says to them, no, do not do it. Christ is superior. Christ is better. Christ advances Moses and the Old Covenant. Do not go back to the Old Covenant ways. To go back to the Old Covenant forms of worship would be to choose the shadows Over the things of substance. That is the whole argument that the writer to the Hebrews is making. And so, if any book of the Bible were to teach that the Sabbath has been removed, which book would teach it? The letter to the Hebrews would teach it. Here is where the the writer to the Hebrews would emphatically say that thing, the observance of the weekly Sabbath, has died with Christ. And it was not raised again, right? This would have been the time to say it. But instead we find that the writer to the Hebrews is insistent to the new covenant people of God. He says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God living now under the new covenant. It is really astonishing, isn't it? So all of these things have passed away. You in Christ are not bound to keep them. Do not go back, Jewish Christians, to them That was the Old Covenant. This is the New. But this thing remains. This thing has stayed in place. This thing is still here. The practice of Sabbath keeping. The practice of Sabbath resting. I also agree with Pink that those who say there is no Christian Sabbath take direct issue with the New Testament Scriptures. They do not just disagree with our theological reasoning. They actually take direct issue with with the New Testament Scriptures. For here in Hebrews 4.9, the matter is put most plainly. I want to take a moment to consider Hebrews 4.9 in some detail. Uh, First of all, notice that the writer to the Hebrews is referring to the practice of Sabbath keeping when he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. When he talks about a Sabbath rest He is referring to the religious practice of keeping a Sabbath day as holy unto the Lord. The word translated in the ESV as Sabbath rest is in the Greek, sabbatismos. Uh, This noun is a very rare word. It appears only this one time in the whole Bible, even if we were to consider the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. This noun, sabbatismos, appears only in this one place. In Greek literature, it is... Uh, The word is only found once in Plutarch's writings where he uses it to refer to the practice of religious rest. And so although the noun sabbatismos is found nowhere else in the Bible, uh, the verbal form of the word, which is sabbatizo, is used a number of times in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And the word sabbatizo is always used to describe the idea of Sabbath-keeping. For example, Exodus 16.30 says, So the people of God rested on the seventh day. They they sabbatized on the seventh day. Uh, The Greek dictionary, a very trusted Greek dictionary called Loanida, says that this word, sabbatismos, the noun that I was at first referring to, refers to a special, religiously significant period for rest and worship. It is a Sabbath rest, a period of rest now, the point is that the noun used by the writer to the Hebrews in 4.9 refers to the religious practice of Sabbath-keeping. The practice of Sabbath-keeping, or the keeping of a Sabbath day, remains for the people of God living under the Old Covenant. In other words, just as the Old Covenant people of God were to keep a Sabbath day, so too the New Covenant people of God are to keep a Sabbath day. If the writer to the Hebrews meant to communicate that the people of God, under the new covenant, still have a hope or expectation of future rest, then he would have used the word for rest that is used throughout this passage. I will not reread it, but the word rest, simply rest, appears throughout this Hebrews passage from 3.7 onward. But it is not the hope or expectation of future rest that the writer to the Hebrews is referring to here, but to the present practice of Sabbath-keeping by the people of God in the New Covenant era. This is what remains for the people of God, the practice of keeping a Sabbath day holy unto the Lord. Secondly, notice that the writer to the Hebrews is insistent that the practice of Sabbath-keeping remains for the people of God in the new covenant era much has changed much has been taken away with with the passing of the old covenant to the with the passing of the old covenant and the inauguration of the new but the writer to the hebrews is saying this thing remains this thing remains i'm also reminded of what the writer to the hebrews will say later on in his epistle regarding the practice of assembling together with the people of God. I hope that you remember that in the Old Testament times, the Sabbath day, the weekly Sabbath, was a day for holy convocation. It was a day for the people of God to assemble together or to gather together. And later on in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 10.24, the writer exhorts the new covenant people of God to continue this same practice and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day, that is the day of the Lord's return or the day of consummate and eternal rest is still in our future, but the people of God are to still assemble together on the Lord's day Sabbath as that day draws near and until it comes. And so the old covenant people of God were to assemble, they were to convene, to worship God and to hear God's word and to encourage one another on the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath, and so too the people of God under the new covenant are to continue this practice. Thirdly, notice that this insistence concerning ongoing Sabbath keeping is the conclusion of a line of theological reasoning that began in Hebrews 3, verse 7. Here I am honing in upon the words In 4.9, so then, uh, so then, we read at the beginning of Hebrews 4.9, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The words, so then, indicate that the writer is now coming to some sort of conclusion based upon his prior reasoning. It is for this reason that a Sabbath keeping remains for the people of God. And where do we find that rationale? Well, it is presented in the passage uh, that precedes it. We read it. the beginning of this sermon. And what is the reasoning? Well, to summarize it, the writer to the Hebrews simply argues that because the rest that is symbolized by the Sabbath day has not yet come in full, there must therefore remain the practice of Sabbath keeping. That is the reasoning presented by the writer to the Hebrews. The argument of Hebrews 3.7-4.8 is that the people of God have not yet entered into the fullness of the rest to which the Sabbath day points. And because of this truth, then, and therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. That practice of Sabbath keeping remains. Did the people of Israel, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, did the people of Israel experience a kind of rest after Joshua led them into the land of promise to take possession of it? They did. They sojourned for 40 years. They entered into battle, there was the conquest, and, and, and they settled that land and entered into a kind of rest. Those who had faith in God experienced a kind of rest. That doubting generation died in the wilderness. But was it the ultimate and full fulfillment of what the Sabbath day pointed forward to? No, it wasn't it. Uh, That wasn't it. It wasn't fulfilled then. It was a type of rest, but it was not full and eternal rest. If it were the rest to which the Sabbath day pointed, then why, the writer to the Hebrews' reasons, did David, King David, write so many years after Joshua and the conquest of Canaan these words in Psalm 95 for he is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said, they, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. David, in writing these words, so long after Joshua, was clearly declaring to the people of Israel, uh, in his day, that they did not enter into God's rest, and he was warning them also of not entering into it. In other words, in David's day, though he lived so long after Joshua, there was still the hope of a rest that was future to, to him. Uh, the rest of God was still future for them, for the people of God in David's day, and so the practice of Sabbath-keeping remained for them, and the fullness of God's rest is still future for us. And so the practice of Sabbath-keeping Remains for the people of God even today. Listen to the reasoning of Hebrews 4, 8, and 9. Let us just consider these two verses. For if Joshua had given them rest, the writer to the Hebrew says, God would not have spoken of another day later on. He wouldn't have spoken of a future rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I think to put it simply, I might state it this way. So long as the answer to the question have we entered into the fullness of God's rest is no, then the answer to the question is there still a Sabbath day to be kept by the people of God will be yes. So long as the answer have we entered into the fullness of God's rest is no, then the answer to the question is there still a Sabbath day to be kept by the people of God will be yes. God instituted this at creation and it will continue all the way on until the consummation. The people of God will always be known for this. They rest one day out of seven and remembrance of God's act of creation and remembrance of the resurrection of Christ and looking forward to the fullness of the rest of God uh, that we hope to enter into through faith in Christ Jesus. Fourthly, Notice that Sabbath-keeping under the New Covenant is to take place on Sunday, the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day, because on that day Christ rose from the dead and entered into God's rest. You say, where do you see that here in Hebrews chapter 4? Well, this principle is communicated in verse 10, where we read, for. And again, the writer of the Hebrews is explaining himself as to why we are to still keep a Sabbath day and when we are to keep it. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You say that is as clear as mud. I don't get it. I think the ESV could do a little better in its translation, to be quite honest with you. I always hate to criticize uh, modern uh, translations of the Bible. but, But please understand that the... Whoever of verse 10 is a reference to Christ. I really believe that the the King James Version and the New King James Version translate this verse a little bit more clearly when they use the word he instead of the word whoever. Listen to the New King James translation of Hebrews 4.10. It says, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his work, as God did from Him, from his. It makes it a little more clear that the writer to the Hebrews has in mind a person. Someone has entered into rest. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. You'll never understand what the writer to the Hebrews is saying unless you understand the doctrine of the Sabbath more fully. Uh, unless you understand the doctrine of the Sabbath more fully than what this verse itself is saying. I really do not have time to argue for this interpretation that you can read, if you are into this sort of thing, John Owen, in his Hebrews commentary, if you'd like a thorough argument for the he or whoever of verse 10 uh, referring to Christ. But for the sake of time, I'll simply say that the meaning of this verse is this. Jesus Christ, listen carefully now, Jesus Christ has entered into the rest of God and has ceased from his work in the same way that God himself entered into rest when he ceased from his work of creation. That is the argument that the writer to the Hebrews is making. A Sabbath-keeping remains for the people of God because we have not entered into that rest yet. And we are to keep the Sabbath, this Sabbath day, On the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, when Christ rose from the dead, because some great act has been accomplished, some great act of new creation has been accomplished, Christ Jesus, our Lord, our Mediator, the God-man has, in fact, entered into that rest. Has any man ever entered into the fullness of the rest of God as symbolized by the Sabbath day? The answer is yes, one has. Jesus has. How did He get to go and experience the rest of God. How did he get to cease from his labors? Because he kept the law perfectly. He finished the work. He has entered into that rest. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. So one has entered in. He is, he is our forerunner, isn't he? He is the first fruits. He is our hope. He has obtained the rest of God, and we expect to obtain it as well not on our own through the accomplishment of works but by trusting in Christ and the work that he has finished for us do you get the the theological reasoning here that the writer of the hebrews is making we are to rest still the sabbath keeping remains for the people of god but the day has changed it is not explicitly said here but it is alluded to throughout the rest of the new testament and we're to anticipate it from the old also uh, The day has changed based upon the finished work of Christ and the fact that He has entered into rest. When did He do it, brothers and sisters? When did Christ enter into rest? He did it on Sunday, the first day of the week when He rose from the dead. It was after His work was completed. Was His work completed when He was still in the grave? Please say no. He was there in the grave, but His work was not fully completed then. If He stayed in the grave, then He would have accomplished nothing for us. But He rose on the first day of the week, and he entered into rest, ascending to rest, ascending to the right hand of the Father and taking his seat there. The Sabbath keeping remains for the people of God because the fullness of God's rest is still f- a future reality for us. But there is one who has entered into the fullness of God's rest and has ceased from his works, Christ Jesus our Lord. On which day are we to keep the Sabbath under the new covenant? It is on Sunday, because on this day our Redeemer was finished with his work, and did enter into his rest. Isn't it beautiful? When we keep the Lord's Day Sabbath, we are reminded of God's act of creation, yes. And so we remember our Creator. But we are now also reminded of God's act of redemption, accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord, and we we remember our Redeemer. And the fact that we are resting, one out of seven, one out of seven even still, uh, means that we are also looking forward to something that has not yet come, namely, eternal, full, final, and consummate rest. What a beautiful thing this is. Fifthly and lastly, let us see that in this Sabbath keeping, the new covenant people of God are to persevere in the faith until they enter the fullness of rest, which is typified by the Sabbath day. In this Sabbath keeping, and through the process of Sabbath keeping, the new covenant people of God are to persevere in the faith, until they enter the fullness of rest, which is typified by the Sabbath day. Listen to the way in which the writer of the Hebrews exhorts the Christian in verse 10. He says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He is saying the fullness of that rest is still future to us. We have tasted of it, but have not entered in fully. Let us not be like... The people of Israel, who came short of it because of their disbelief, they feared to enter into the promised land because the people were so big. They were so strong. They did not trust in God. And so they died in that wilderness place. They came short of the promised land. And the writer of the Hebrews is saying, Let us not be like them at all, but let us persevere. Let us press on. Let us abide in Christ, remain in Him through to the very end, so that we might enter into the fullness of that rest earned for us by Christ Jesus. And how are we to do it? Well, the entire context implies that we're to do it, in part, through the process of Sabbath-keeping, one day out of seven, week after week after week. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I um, would like to conclude uh, this sermon by elaborating just a bit more on this idea and by stressing this connection between honoring the Sabbath day and our perseverance in Christ. Uh, Keeping the Sabbath day, I hope that you are able to see this, keeping the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord helps us to persevere. It does. It is one of the things, the means that God has given to us to to persevere in Christ through to the end. The activities associated with public and private worship on the Sabbath day, they are good for the soul. You would agree with me on that, wouldn't you? When you come and you pray with the people of God, when you fellowship with the people of God, when you hear the Word of God preached, when you observe the Lord's Supper, these are the means that God has given to His people to strengthen them, to nourish them, and to give them what they need to finish the race that is set before them. Uh, The Practice of keeping the Sabbath day holy helps the people of God to persevere. And also, keeping the Sabbath day indicates that we are persevering. Do you see this? Keeping the Sabbath day is an indicator that we are indeed persevering. It is a sign that we are abiding in Christ still. That we are still trusting in His sacrificial death, in His victorious resurrection, and hopefully that we will And in our hope that we will one day enter into the rest that he himself has entered into through faith in him. It indicates that we are still persevering. There is a reason, a very good reason, why pastors and elders grow concerned when people are absent from the fellowship. You understand this, right? It's not just about checking the boxes and keeping the attendance numbers up. Maybe it is for some, I don't know. It's not about that. It's not about you just being here for the sake of being here. There is a good reason why pastors and elders grow concerned when people are absent from the fellowship, for no good reason, of course I mean. It might be that they have been providentially hindered, but it might also be an indicator, and often is, that something has gone wrong with their faith. When Christ is at the center of one's life, when our love for Him is strong and true, what do we do but we keep His commandments? And one of His commandments is to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. When we begin to drift, when our faith falters and our hearts grow hard, it is evidenced by disobedience. And one of the first ways that I have found Christians be disobedient is in regard to the Sabbath day. They begin to disappear. This is one of the first signs of a drifting heart, in my experience. It is the neglect of the assembling of ourselves together on the Sabbath day. So it's not just about you being here so that we might check the box that you were in attendance, but but this is is a sign that indeed God and Christ are at the center of your life. When you order your time around God's Word, when you place Him at, at the very center, I could also speak of the act of giving in the same sort of way, you know, uh, it says something when you give to the Lord that you really do believe these things. You know. You're submitting even your, your possessions to God. They are under His authority, under His rule. And so it is with our time. When we honor the Sabbath day, we are saying, God, I am going to live in submission to you always. You are at the center of my life. Everything that I do surrounds you and the worship of you. And so, brothers and sisters, keeping the Sabbath day helps us to persevere. Also, keeping the Sabbath day indicates that we are in fact persevering. Let me close with the reading of Hebrews 10:19 through 25. Uh, some of this has been read before, but it is a good word of export, uh, exhortation to elaborate on what has just been said. Therefore, brothers. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us bow together for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Sabbath day. Lord, you know our frailty, our weakness. You know how quickly we do stray from you and from your word. And we thank you that we have this anchor Uh, Lord, provided for us by you uh, to draw us back to you continually, to have you at the center of our lives. Lord, help us to understand the doctrine of the Sabbath from Genesis to Revelation, Lord. Uh, May we believe what your word says and may we also have a heart to keep it. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that they would indeed love the Sabbath day, that they would prepare for it when it comes, that they would rejoice in it, that they would be refreshed by you as they give you a special kind of an attention and focus through worship, through the meditation of your word, through fellowship with others who have Christ as Lord, through the breaking of the bread. Uh, Lord, strengthen your church week by week, we pray. For those who are struggling in this regard, Father, I pray that you would help them, uh, that they would see your word as true and that they would have a heart to keep it. Lord, do this for our good, of course, but above all, Lord, may you be glorified in this world as your church lives in obedience to your word. And as we love one another, in Jesus' name, amen.